Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you're not going to want to miss it. Now for today's case, we are talking about the unsolved brutal murder of Lindsay Buziak. Now this case occurred in 2008, and while there are a lot of different theories on this case, it really has sat cold for quite some time, and there hasn't really been any progress, so to speak, on this case. So I'm really interested to hear what you guys think happened So with that all being said, let's jump right on into it today. Lindsay Buziak was born on November 2nd, 1983 to her parents, Jeff and Evelyn. So her birthday was just a couple days ago, actually. Growing up, Lindsay had a sister named Sarah and she lived in British Columbia in Canada. Now, growing up, Lindsay always had a very contagious spirit. She was incredibly caring and always looked out for people that she loved. It was said that Lindsay could really make friends with anyone. She was the type where she could talk to a brick wall. Like, she just had that type of infectious personality. She was incredibly caring. She was the type that would give you the shirt off of her back if you needed it. It was kind of like to know her was to love her because she always made you feel comfortable. She always made you feel cared for. She was always very genuine. An example of Lindsay's kind heart is the fact that when she was growing up, she actually made a Facebook page for her sister, Sarah, and the Facebook page was called People Who Love Sarah. And it really was just a Facebook page dedicated to her sister where she would show pictures of her and Sarah, and she would write funny memories that the two of them shared, and other people would comment on memories that they had with Lindsay's sister. So that's just an example of her always trying to go out of her way to make everyone feel special. Now, like I said, this case happened in 2008, and when Lindsay was in her early 20s, she had gotten a job as a real estate agent, and her family was incredibly proud of her for a multitude of reasons, but one of those reasons being that she was kind of following the family legacy in a way. Her father, Jeff, was a very successful real estate agent. Along with that, Lindsay also had a boyfriend at the time named Jason Zalo. Now, at the time of her death, Lindsay was 24 years old and her and Jason had been together for about a year and Jason was Lindsay's dream. He seemed to absolutely adore her and basically worship the ground that she walked on. Now, Jason also came from a very well-off family. His family was also in the real estate business, so a lot of real estate going on here, but Jason's family was in the real estate business. Lindsay's family was in the real estate business, and Lindsay was also following in those footsteps. And Lindsay actually ended up working for Jason's family's real estate company. So she was able to get her career started through them and really pointed in the right direction and headed towards success. Now, even though things on the outside to a lot of people seemed great between Jason and Lindsay, they definitely had their fair share of issues that very few people knew about. However, one of those people was Lindsay's father, Jeff. 
Lindsay and Jeff were very, very close, and she was very open with her dad about the relationship issues that she was having with Jason. She explained to her dad that Jason seemed very controlling and possessive. He was protective, but almost too protective of her. However, although there were red flags in the beginning of the relationship, Lindsay continued to move forward with it, so much so that the two actually ended up moving in together. They moved into a house. It was a waterfront house that Jason's parents had bought. So Jason's family owned this house and Lindsay and Jason moved into it. So, I mean, if you think about it, it sounds like a pretty good deal. It was a gorgeous house, waterfront property, and Lindsay and Jason were able to live there. So between that, as well as Lindsay's career, her life was really at a point where it seemed like everything was starting to fall into place. But of course, if that was truly the case, then we wouldn't be here talking about Lindsay today. Now, in late January 2008, Lindsay ended up receiving a phone call from an unknown woman. And to this day, the identity of this woman has never been released. Now, this woman told Lindsay that her and her husband were interested in purchasing a home in the Victorian suburb of British Columbia, which is a very affluent area. This woman claimed that she was referred to Lindsay through a previous client that Lindsay had worked with. And this woman actually named the client. So it wasn't like she was just kind of, you know, BSing her way through this conversation. She did tell Lindsay who the name of this client was, which kind of got Lindsay to feel a little bit more comfortable. Because part of the reason that Lindsay was so confused is that this call wasn't coming in through her work phone or at her office. Whoever was calling her actually had her personal cell phone number, which was not something that was given out freely. And so she was confused how someone was able to access that information. And like I said, while she was confused at first, that confusion quickly turned into excitement when this woman told Lindsay that she was looking for a three-bedroom, three-bathroom home with a budget of $1 million. The house needed to have a large master bedroom. It also needed to have space for a housekeeper and a nanny. And this is not the type of real estate deal that just falls into a beginner's lap every day. So Lindsay was absolutely thrilled. The woman over the phone said that she had two days to purchase a house. So she was sounding determined. And like I said, Lindsay was over the moon. She thought that this was a great opportunity and this was really kickstarting her career. However, the realist side of Lindsay kicked in once the phone call ended. She called her dad and told her that it almost seemed too good to be true. This deal, this $1 million house seemed a little bit too good to be true. She said that she felt like something was off about the phone call. She said that the woman on the phone just sounded odd and she couldn't really put her finger as to why they sounded odd, but she said she just sounds strange. Now, Lindsay's father recommended that Lindsay call the client that this woman had claimed had referred them to Lindsay. And so Lindsay decided to do that. However, she never ended up getting a hold of this previous client of hers. She never spoke to them because apparently they were out of town at the time. Now, we don't have any real identifying factors for this woman. Like I said, it was a random phone call. However, what we do know from what Lindsay had shared with her dad, as well as the contact name that Lindsay 
saved this number as in her phone, she told her dad that the woman on the other end of the line sounded quote unquote, kind of Spanish, but not really, end quote. And she also saved the contact of this woman in her phone as the Mexicans. So that's really the only description that we have. Now, Lindsay also expressed her concerns of not really knowing if this was the real deal or if this was too good to be true. She expressed those concerns to Jason as well. Now, after discussing it with Jason, Jason and her had come up with the idea of Jason waiting outside the house that Lindsay would be showing this woman just to make sure that everything went smoothly, that everything was good. So Lindsay and Jason came up with that idea and Lindsay felt a lot more comfortable. She expressed the idea to her dad and her dad also said that he felt a lot better knowing that Jason was going to be there. Jason wasn't going to be coming in the house. That was not the part of the plan. Again, the plan was that Jason was just going to wait in his car outside of the house and wait for the showing to be over. And Jason is a bigger guy. He's six foot three. He's an ex-pro hockey player. So he wasn't someone that was going to be tossed to the side easily. He was very intimidating. Like I said, bigger guy. So this seemed like the perfect plan. So now with this new plan in place, Lindsay moved forward with this mystery client of hers. Like I said, she only had two days to find this woman a house. So Lindsay was on the hunt to make that happen, and she stumbled across what she believed to be the perfect house for this family. The house was in the town of Sainich that matched the criteria of what the client was looking for. So Lindsay went ahead and booked a private showing at the house for Saturday, February 2nd, 2008. The house was located on 1702 DeSousa Place, and it was one of four houses on a cul-de-sac. So now let's talk about February 2nd. Earlier that day, Jason and Lindsay had gone out for a late lunch together and they ended up getting the bill at 4.24 p.m. and the showing was scheduled for 5.30 p.m. After they had gone to lunch, the two of them had left separately. So they left in two separate cars and Lindsay decided to go home and change her clothes before going to the property. Now, even though the showing was scheduled for 5.30, after Lindsay had gone home to change her clothes, Jason had gone to an auto shop to pick up one of his friends. I have heard conflicting reports that he was working at the auto shop at that time. However, not confirmed. What we do know is that there is surveillance footage of Jason arriving at the auto shop and surveillance of him leaving with his friend at 5.30 p.m. So he left the auto shop right when the showing was starting. Now, at first, Jason couldn't get the address into his GPS, so he decided to call Lindsay. And when he called Lindsay, she explained to him what the address was and explained how to get there. However, during the call, Jason said that he could hear that the clients were arriving. And once Lindsay saw that, she told Jason on the other end of the line, quote, I will see you in a bit. I gotta go. The Mexicans are here, end quote. So Jason gets in his car, he has the address, and he starts driving towards the house at 5.30 p.m. Jason texts Lindsay once he's able to get the GPS working, telling her he would be there between 10 and 15 minutes. 
Lindsay texted him back pretty automatically, just telling him, okay, sounds good, and that she was going to begin the showing. Now, at around 5.30, like I said, Lindsay was greeted by the client. Now, to her surprise, Lindsay was under the impression that she was only going to be showing the woman the house. However, two other witnesses claim that they saw a man and a woman meet Lindsay at the house that day, indicating that it was probably the husband and wife duo. Now, these witnesses claim that they saw the initial greeting interaction between Lindsay and this couple, and from the interaction and the body language, it did appear that Lindsay was meeting them both for the first time. Now, what we also know is that the witnesses saw the three of them entering the house together. Now, we also know through the lockbox that was used for this property, the lockbox is computer activated and it showed that it was opened at 5.29 p.m. And that's right around the time that Lindsay was seen by witnesses walking into the house. Jason and his friend had arrived 15 minutes later at around 5.45 p.m. When Jason pulled up, he texted Lindsay, letting him know that he was there. However, he never got a response. Now, even though Jason didn't get a response from Lindsay, someone else definitely did. At 5.41 p.m., so just several minutes before Jason had reportedly arrived at the house, Lindsay had made a pocket dial to a friend of hers that she hadn't spoken to in some time. It was a pocket dial that went to voicemail, and the voicemail, you just hear a lot of muffling. There's no distinct words or anything. However, it is believed that that pocket dial and that voicemail was the audio of Lindsay Buziak being murdered. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So the timeline that I'm going to talk about now and what I'm going to run you guys through is everything through Jason's perspective. Now, according to Jason, when him and his friend pulled into the cul-de-sac to park outside of the house, he saw the husband and wife client couple walk out of the home that Lindsay was showing them. However, in the midst of getting halfway out the door, Jason said that the couple locked eyes with Jason and then got nervous and almost frantic and turned around and shut the door. Now, from Jason's perspective, what he claims is that when he saw this, he assumed, even though it was 15 minutes past the original showing time, he assumed that the showing had actually just started even though he had spoken to Lindsay 15 minutes prior, who had told him that the showing was starting at that time. So instead of getting out of the car and making sure everything was good or just, you know, seeing what was going on, Jason said that him and his friend just sat in his car for another 20 minutes. Now, after 20 minutes, Jason started to get a little worried. He said while looking through the house while he was in his car, he was able to see a male figure walk through the house 
But other than that, he couldn't see anything. And when Lindsay wasn't responding back to the text messages, he started to get very worried. And he went up to the front door of the property to try and open it. However, when he did that, he realized that the front door was locked. Now, when Jason looked through the window of the door, he saw Lindsay's high heel shoes at the end of the staircase. Now, when he saw that, he said he kind of kicked into panic mode. He started knocking on the door. He couldn't open it because it was locked. He was yelling for someone to come and let him in. However, no one appeared to be in the house. At that point, his friend had also gotten out of the car and started walking around the property. And while his friend was doing that, Jason called 911. Now, Jason's friend was actually able to find an entryway through a broken fence in the back of the house. So he was able to enter the property and found an open back door that allowed him to get into the home. When he got into the home, he walked over to the front door and was able to open it for Jason, who immediately hung up on 911. When Jason got into the house, he beelined for the upstairs second floor of the home into the master bathroom. And when he went in there, he saw Lindsay lying in a pool of blood. When Jason saw this, he then called 911 for a second time at 6.11 p.m., and police arrived on the scene immediately. The medical examiner was able to conclude that Lindsay had been stabbed 40 times, and there were no defensive wounds on her, which indicated that she had no idea that the attack was about to happen and more than likely had her back turned towards her offenders. And you have to think about it. 40 stab wounds is a kill of passion. It takes a lot of anger to stab someone 40 times. Now, miraculously, when police looked around the house, there was no blood anywhere else through the home other than that master bathroom. Now, immediately, Jason and his friend were taken into police custody to talk about what had happened. Jason had given police the story that I just told you and also told police that he had absolutely nothing to do with Lindsay's murder. Now, according to police, Jason from the get-go has always been very cooperative and he did pass a polygraph exam. So having those two things, along with the fact that there was no physical nor forensic evidence linking him to Lindsay's death, police had to let Jason go. Now, police have been pretty adamant on the fact that they do believe Jason's story. And when you look at the facts, it does kind of raise the question of how could Jason have pulled this off? If you think about it, he went to lunch with Lindsay an hour before the showing. He was seen on surveillance footage at the auto shop during the time that Lindsay was going through with the showing. He arrived 15 minutes after the showing had begun. And we know Lindsay was at that house at that time because the lockbox was open at 5.29 p.m. So when you look at that as a whole, it is hard to think about, well, how could Jason have ever done this? Now, police do believe that Lindsay's murder was carried out by a person or people that have killed before. They also believe that this was carried out by someone whose sole purpose was to just kill Lindsay. The whole house thing was a cover-up and it wasn't a random attack. Lindsay was a target. They don't believe that, you know, this couple just found Lindsay and decided during their showing that they were going to kill her. They believe that this was someone who specifically targeted Lindsay. Another reason for that belief is because, first of all, this was someone who had to pull this off in about 10 
minutes. Along with that, Lindsay's wallet, phone, and everything of value was found on her. So nothing was taken from her. This was not a robbery. And you might be sitting there wondering, well, why don't the police just track the number of the phone that was calling Lindsay? That way they can discover the identities of the person that met Lindsay there that day which you would be right. That is something that should be done. And that is something that police did. And when they did that, they figured out that this phone that called Lindsay was a burner phone. It was a burner phone that was purchased with cash three months prior to her death. And the only person that this burner phone had any contact with was Lindsay Buziak which again, it just goes to show how targeted and how premeditated of an attack this was. And along with that, just to turn over this stone as well, police have also said that they don't have any DNA or fingerprints that would lead to any identification of this mystery couple. Now you might be sitting here thinking, well, why on earth would Lindsay out of all people, this early twenties real estate agent had her whole life in front of her, was just getting started in her career. Why would she have a target on her back? So let's talk about the theories and we're going to back up to six weeks prior to Lindsay's murder. Now, six weeks prior, Lindsay went to go visit her dad in Calgary. Now, during this visit through phone records, police were able to figure out that Lindsay was messaging and calling a man who was a relative to someone involved in a drug ring. And a few weeks later, that same drug ring got busted for millions of dollars. And a theory there is that there were people in the ring who were basically trying to find the snitch in this situation because someone had to go and talk to police in order for this drug ring to get busted. So an existing theory is that Lindsay could have been the person that told police what was going on. That's the whole belief here in this theory is that Lindsay is that missing link. She was the messenger that told police what was going on. However, the fact of the matter is that I think that police could quickly figure out who the snitch was because I've read a lot of interviews that say that police believe that Lindsay could have been the person. And it's, it doesn't make sense to me unless I'm missing something and you guys can let me know if I am, but I feel like police would be able to figure out very quickly who that person was and be able to rule Lindsay in or out as being the person responsible for that. So that's one theory. And again, there really isn't that much to back that theory up. It also doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think of the timeline of that burner phone, because that burner phone was purchased three months prior to her death. And this was only six weeks. So that burner phone was purchased weeks prior to all of that mess happening. But let's talk about another one that seems to be the main theory in this. And that is the theory that Jason had some sort of connection or responsibility for Lindsay's murder. Again, all alleged, all a theory. And you might be sitting there thinking, how? Like, why? Why is that possible? They had this great relationship. They had this beautiful house, you know, real estate empire. Why? And that is all true. 
However, like I said, the relationship didn't seem to be as great as Lindsay tried to portray it. The reason for that visit to her dad in Calgary six weeks prior to her murder was to express to her dad how unhappy she was with her relationship with Jason and that she was heavily debating and more than likely was going to proceed with ending that relationship. She expressed to her dad that she felt like Jason was controlling her, that he was over-possessive and overbearing, and she wanted to end the relationship. However, as you can imagine, a little bit of a sticky situation considering Lindsay was working for Jason's family's company. So a part of this theory is the potential motive that Jason could have had. And when you think about this, this does seem like a possible motive. Jason found out that Lindsay was trying to break up with him or end the relationship, and he snapped. Again, alleged a theory. However, when you think about possible motive, that falls in there. Now, to add on to this theory, there were a lot of things in Jason's story that didn't make too much sense. A lot of people have raised a red flag at the fact that in Jason's story to police, he said that when he was let into the house, he immediately ran upstairs and ran to the master bathroom. And the reason that this sparks the concern is the fact that if Jason didn't know where Lindsay was, if Jason didn't know where she had been killed, why wouldn't he be looking around the rest of the house before shooting upstairs and into the master bathroom? Why not look downstairs first, then go upstairs? It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, again, this theory does have a lot of holes in it because where along the line would Jason have had the time to murder Lindsay when you look at the timeline. However, that then brings in the second part of this theory, which was that Lindsay's murder was a possible hit. And when you look at the second part of this theory, a lot of people have brought in to play Jason's mother, Shirley. Again, I know it seems kind of out there, but there are people that believe that because Lindsay was going to break up with Jason and their relationship was on the rocks, they decided to go through with killing her. Now, personally, even though we have seen that time and time before, I don't fully believe that this was just a matter of she's going to break up with me and I want to kill her because of it. It just seems a little bit more than that in this case. After all, this was a very premeditated killing. The burner phone was purchased months prior to the time where Lindsay was murdered. And it wasn't like they bought the phone and then had the phone call right away. It was the phone was bought and wasn't used for months until two days prior to Lindsay's death. Like I said, there was no blood anywhere else in the house. Nothing that almost a first-time murderer would do. I know how that sounds. But when you think about it, police believe that whoever carried this out was someone who was very experienced in killing. In looking in the public, a lot of people also had a problem with the part of Jason's story where he says when he pulled into the cul-de-sac with his friend, he basically saw the man and woman walk out of the house and then quickly saw them dash back into the house and lock the door. A lot of people have questioned why he would just think that that's normal and think that that's okay. People have criticized the fact that he didn't get out of the car and didn't go up and see what was going on sooner because of that fact. And I will say, not to play devil's advocate, however, I will say, I can't say in that situation that I wouldn't have not done the same thing. I'm trying to think about, you know, 
all possible scenarios here. I think the fact that they walked out and then ran back inside is bizarre. And what we know is that there were two people there. And in Jason's position, if he's pulling up to the house that his girlfriend is showing, it's this huge deal that she's supposed to have. And, you know, she doesn't want to screw it up. He sees the people kind of run back into the house. There could have been multiple reasons for that. So I don't really knock him for not going straight up to the house. Again, that could be just me. You guys, I'm sure are going to have a bunch of different opinions. Now, in regards to this potential alleged hitman theory, a lot of people believe that it wasn't necessarily derived from the fact that Lindsay was planning on breaking up with Jason. However, it could have been more so to do with the fact that Lindsay could have potentially seen something that she wasn't supposed to see. She lived in Shirley's house, essentially. She lived in Jason's family's house. There could have been something in that house that she saw that she wasn't supposed to see, which then could have landed a target on her back. Again, we don't know what that potential thing that she wasn't supposed to see could have been. However, that has been a theory that has been discussed. And those are really the two main theories that are talked about in this case. Now, when it comes to what I think, I really don't know. I don't fully believe the drug bust theory. That to me doesn't sit right. So I do believe that the second theory is more likely. However, there are so many holes in that theory too that I don't really, I don't know. I don't know for that one either. The fact of the matter is that whoever was responsible for this is still out there. This is still an unsolved case. So whoever was responsible is still walking free. Now, Lindsay's dad has basically made it his mission to find his daughter's killers. He has dedicated an entire website to it. He has done countless interviews, countless conversations to keep Lindsay's name out there, to keep this case alive because it did happen in 2008 and there really hasn't been that much progress. And Jeff has said that, you know, even though he doesn't believe that the police have done a bad job on this case, it certainly isn't solved. So there's still a lot more more work that needs to be done in order to get this case closed and get Lindsay justice. So that is the case that I have for you guys today. I'm really interested to hear what you guys think about it. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back in a couple days with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.